Hello and welcome to episode 35 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Bavonis. Joining me today is Sanushka Siomangal, member of the board of the Australia-India Council, national vice chair of the Australia-India Business Council, and co-founder of the Australia-India Youth Dialogue. Sanushka Siomangal, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, and thanks very much for joining us today. The number one thing I'd like to ask you about is your work for the School of Policy and Governance. And it, this is an effort you've been putting together with a mission to, quote, prepare leaders in the developing world to govern better. Can you give us a little introduction to the School of Policy and Governance? Um, of course. Thank you. Um, so the School of Policy and Governance, governance, or SPG, as we uh, refer to it, uh, is a concept, um, a bunch of us who've worked together on other projects before, uh, came up with when we were trying to look for another project to work together on. Um, a project that we were hoping would, would make some significant change. Um, and effectively, it evolved during a conversation between uh, our founding chair, uh, Rachel Punjabi, and an senior academic uh, from New Delhi about how little time academics get to actually spend on research when it comes to policy um, and where some of the gaps are. Uh, and so we did a little bit of work to look at what public policy education uh, actually exists and what the reach is in a country like India, which is so diverse in terms of urban versus rural, regional, um, localized communities, you know, village councils versus actual government departments uh, in big cities. Um, and what we found was uh, there's actually a gap. So we identified a gap in public policy education. There's, at the time that we were looking at this, there wasn't as much localized education uh, from a public policy and governance perspective. Um, and really, if you were looking at something that was high quality, it would be the likes of the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. And, you know, there's only a very few people that would actually get that opportunity coming from, uh, you know, a place like India, people who will end up working in the prime minister's office, for example. Um, well, so Australians we, like to mention the Crawford School. <laughs> oh, there is, of course, the Crawford School. But I guess I was talking, you know, when you look at I, the first time I met somebody from India who'd gone to um, the Kennedy School was uh, one of our delegates at the Australian-India Youth Dialogue who ended up in the Prime Minister's office in New Delhi. Oh, wow. um, and so as we were looking at this and working out what we might be able to do, we came up with this idea of putting together a standalone public policy institution in India for India and the developing world, I guess, or global south, whatever is a more politically correct term to use these days. And our, our aim is to provide um, localized, high quality public policy education mm -hmm. um, to enable people across the spectrum um, in civil administration in a country like India or similar uh, to, to have the same quality of, of education and upskilling to enable them to do their jobs for their communities. Uh, that's the vision. Um, we started in 2017 uh, and we you know, put the structure together, got tax advice, did all of those things to make sure we were able to do what we wanted to do. Uh, and then started off with short-term executive education programs to one, test the concept, test the, uh, the, the, the content, 
mm-hmm. uh, test the market and actually see if this had legs. I mean, you know, we're we're a bunch of 30, 40, you know, early 40 year olds who, who came up with this idea, right? So, you know, none of us had significant experience in that space. So we needed to test. Um, to date, we've run more than 10 executive education programs across, uh, you know, an array of topics from digital campaigning to health policy in India to gender, uh, emerging security issues, um, with, with significant reach. Of course, we were impacted when um, COVID happened uh, and we had to switch from an in-person model like everybody else to a virtual model, uh, which it turned out was actually very, very advantageous to us because for the first time we were able to get participation from, uh, you know, countries like Bangladesh, um, Nepal, uh, Sri Lanka uh, in our programs. Uh, so when we're definitely seeing the value in terms of the reach we can have beyond India. Right. Um you know, outside of the executive education programs, what we have is a model for how we're going to set this campus up in due course, a model for fundraising, a model for a, an India policy review, mm-hmm. um, you know, the equivalent of your other um, policy reviews that are undertaken by institutions around the world uh, with a localized focus, of course. Um, but that effectively is the concept. Now, you keep saying we did this, we did that. You're all a bunch of Australians putting this together, at least people based in Australia. Is is that correct? Uh, it's a it's a mix. It's a mix. Uh-huh. So we are effectively a, largely a group of um, Australians and Indians mm-hmm. who were the founding team or the founders of um, an organisation called the Australian Indian Youth Dialogue, uh, who had worked together for many many years uh, to bridge the gap in relations between Australia and India, but from a, from an emerging leaders perspective. Um, and so we are a mix of, you know, entrepreneurs, um, academics, uh, lawyers, um, you know, uh, trade professionals uh, who have this idea that we want to, you know, do something good and empower young people uh, to give them the skills and the education that they need to better their communities, their country. Um, but that's effectively who we are. I'm, I'm always incredibly impressed to see people doing things, self-organizing in civil society, because, of course, many of us just let the government take care of these things. And in that, when I say many of us, I'm going to include myself. Uh, of course, I have a you know very comfortable position as an academic at the University of Sydney. It's a government-sponsored organization. And although I admire entrepreneurship, the idea to me that I would actually get out there and start something like this is almost unbelievable and so i'm really curious like how did it how does something like this actually start this kind of third sector entrepreneurship how does it get going is it just a few people sitting around with an idea and voila you've you've incorporated and and attracted students i mean how does that happen how long does it take uh well i guess you know in some respects and and our journeys actually started together when we put the australia india youth dialogue together which was, you know, late 2009 to, sorry, 2010-2011. And effectively, it was an idea that came to a bunch of us who were quite young at that stage uh, because there were some issues in the relationship and we thought, you know, the grown-ups aren't doing enough. Uh, Maybe we need to actually step in and do something. Uh, And the seed for that was literally planted and and, and the, the root of that grew 
in a dodgy little cafe on Oxford Street in Sydney. <laughs> and then, you know, that went on for many, many years and was is very successful. And when we transitioned out, because we could see the impact that we had with this idea and with this energy and using our personal professional networks um, to, to actually make a difference, uh, we missed that, you know, going back to just your normal life after that is actually quite boring. Um, and so we were looking for an opportunity for something to do together because we, we knew if there was actually a change, another change that we thought could be made, we were actually the people who might be able to do it because we'd done it before. Um, but it is, it's just, you know, part of it, I think for us personally, for SPG, was because we have so much fun actually doing it. It's it does not feel like work. No part of it feels like work. It is, you know, literally an energy that I can't actually describe because we enjoy doing something together so much. But I guess more than that, doing something where we can see it has impact. And I'll give you an example. So we, a couple of years ago, we ran our first gender uh, policy program in India. And, you know, gender is quite, a, for me, a very personal uh, issue one I feel very strongly about and we ran the program in in, in New Delhi uh, and in Bangalore in India and in New Delhi we had a, an, an audience of you know development professionals and, and people in the field you know senior academics um, and the level of discussion was you know certainly I felt like was you know, underachiever you know these people were doing such amazing things and then we went to Bangalore to, uh, uh, and we partnered with a, a private university there. And these basically an undergraduate class, about 70 kids, highly privileged, um, absolutely disinterested. You know, were, were, I had no idea why they were actually there in the program. And when we started, I just thought, how are we going to reach these kids? Like, there's, we're trying to make a change, but I'm not sure if we're going to be able to speak to them in a language we can actually reach them with. Um, and when we got to the end of the second day of the program, I, I almost cried because one of the least interested kids raised an argument and said, you know, in a discussion in the class, but gender is not binary, you know. And I thought, OK, we've made a difference. If this kid is able to have this discussion after two days, that's the kind of impact that we have. Um, and, and so for us, that's quite enjoyable uh, to see the change. It's tangible. What I'm really curious, though, is when a group of business people or you know, people who are active in business and not all of you are entrepreneurs get together. Why are you thinking this sort of public policy effort instead of just, you know, another Internet startup, make some money? I mean, again, I'm always very impressed when people give their time freely to do something in the public interest. And I really want to get at that. What motivates you and your colleagues to take on this kind of educational effort instead of a pure money-making effort. Yeah. So, look, I think a lot of it is because each of us has uh, has an individual story and an individual journey to that point, uh, obviously. Uh, and and for me personally, so, you know, I, um, I'm South African of Indian origin uh, and uh, I grew up in apartheid South Africa. Uh, but I was raised and very fortunate to have been raised with a lot of privilege. Um, and as a as a third generation South African, uh, the life that I have lived and the opportunities that were available to me 
would not necessarily have been available to me if my great grandparents hadn't made the decisions that they had made at the time that they had left India. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at a very young age, my, um, my parents impressed upon my siblings and I that because of this privilege that we have, we have a responsibility to make a contribution. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, effectively been my upbringing. So when, as an adult, I started to look at my life and, and through the course of my journey, I knew very quickly that there were definite opportunities for me to actually make that contribution. Uh, but, but you know, in terms of the impact that I think or the, the kind of organizations that I've worked with or helped to set up, it's been where I'm using my skills and my education and my network to make that contribution to this greater exercise. And each of us brings something to that. So, for example, we've got a very senior academic on our team who's had you know her own journey and her own reasons for this point but what she brings to that project is you know all that academic expertise which is way beyond my realm um, and similarly you know when we're putting together like financial modeling and things like that there's you know people who, who that's what they've done in the nature of their businesses but their journey to that point is you know has their, their, their own personal story you know for for, for me the what I think is, is, is important with what we do with SPG is that it actually makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of my days, when I look back and perhaps see somebody that has come through SPG doing something for the greater good of their community or their society or their country or globally, that for me will be a, a mark of success. Mm-hmm. Because the you know the the roots of that journey started with us. Right. Let me say a quick hello to Anthony Gay, uh, to Elizabeth, to People Power International. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. We're going to go to viewer questions in just one moment, so please do start feeding those in. In the meantime, Sunushka, I'd like to ask you, what role can other people play? And especially, I mean, you're a group of people, at least based in Australia, who are doing this work essentially to, to benefit people of the global south with a focus on India and South Asia. What can other Australians do who want to contribute, who want to be part of this? I mean, I think a lot of people viewing will think, wow, that's inspirational. I'd like to get involved. I'd like to contribute. I'd like to do something. What do you think people can do to help this sort of effort or to help your effort in particular? Um, so so we're not all based in, in Australia. Some of us are based in Australia. There's some in India. Um, there's one person in the Middle East. Um, you know, we're, we're a global organization now. Um, but, you know, in terms of how people can contribute, we work with people in, in, in different aspects. As you know, you know, we work with academics across institutions to build content, to build, uh, to, to leverage off their speaker expertise, um, to, to, you know, subject matter expertise. Uh, we're definitely open to, to any kind of assistance we can get with, with those aspects. Uh, obviously, as you know, there's, with any effort, uh, profit or not-for-profit, there's a fundraising element, and, you know, we're constantly working on that in the background. You know, in, in two trains is the way I, I like to look at it. It's one in terms of what we're trying to do with growing the brand and growing the executive education programs and, and making sure we're delivering the quality in that aspect. And, and, and that, of course, hinges on the, the kind of organizations or academic institutions that we partner with to deliver that. 
Um, yeah, so for example, we've got a program coming up in January on, on corporate governance uh, for mm -hmm. directors in India. And, and in order to do that, we're partnering with one of India's largest law firms, uh, Sarol Amachan Mangaldas. Um, and and you know and we're we're looking at, at academic institutions who who may want to partner with us international ones to be able to deliver a quality program for that whether it's through supply of you know their their expertise or um or or, or, or speakers or anything like that um, you know separately we, we're looking at greater fundraising we've got a model in place for that to be able to establish the institution up from the ground um, and that's that's a program. You know, I, that's part of the, the program that I work with, along with my co-founder in particular, uh, to see how we can do that. I think we haven't really thought about how, you know, other people may want to get involved. It's usually us asking people to help <laughs> us as opposed to somebody saying, oh, how can I help? Um, so it's a little bit novel for me to be looking at it uh, with that lens. But I, I think we'd be just open to any kind of reach. Uh, you know, if, if anybody thinks that there's a contribution that they might be able to make to what we're doing in our vision, uh, we're more than happy to engage, um, you know, whether or not it's fundraising related. Right. For us, this is about, you know, I think we've certainly established with our, 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 our history that it's not about money for us. And, and to be clear, this, this is a not-for-profit charity? 100%. It's a not-for-profit uh, education institution. And so if people go to the School of Policy and Governance website, is there a place where they can donate? No, no, no oh. not yet. Not, <laughs> not yet, yet, but it's coming. So it's, 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 it's one of those things, uh, as you would expect with any organization when you're establishing, it actually takes time to have all aspects of that set up. I mean, the other thing is, for us, it's not a, a matter of you know just asking people to give us money. For us, it's about longer term relationships and about us providing value as well. Uh, and that's very, very important to us. So any any kind of reach for that or, or any interest in that is for us, I think, starts with a conversation because we don't want to just take people's money. That's not what we're about. Well, Sanushka may not want your money, but I do. <laughs> and this is the point at which I make a pitch. Please do consider becoming a member of the Center for Independent Studies. You can become a member for $40 a year. Or if you're already a member, please consider upgrading to that $250 membership level. Uh, if you do, you will get a signed copy of Liberty and Liberalism signed by me, uh, mailed direct to you as a thank you for becoming a $250 member of the Center for Independent Studies. Of course, please do click the like button. Uh, the more people upvote the video, the more other people are likely to see it. And if you're not already a subscriber to the CIS YouTube channel, please do subscribe. Sunishka, we have a uh, question from Anthony about the partnership between School of Policy and Governance and University of New South Wales. Can you tell us what's going on there? Sure. So when we established, thank you for the question. Uh, when we established the School of Policy and Governance, we knew that part of how we would be able to build content and build uh, brand and build expertise is through our partnerships. Uh, and we had a, a number of existing relationships because of our history with the Australian Youth Dialogue and, and our various partnerships across academic institutions, largely in Australia, but uh, you know, a couple in India as well. Um, and so we reached out to um, that network uh, and the University of New South Wales partnered with us for the first, I'd say, 
four, four to six programs, um, and uh, financial, it was a financial partnership, so they provided us with funding, because as you would expect, because we were in person, it costs money to be able to um, fly experts in and to be able to host the programming, and because it was a launch, so there were a number of um, activities um, scheduled around that to make the noise that you would typically make uh, when you're establishing an organization. Uh, we uh, have not partnered with the University of New South Wales recently uh, because we've been working a bit more on our Indian institutional partnerships. Mm -hmm. um, and, and part of that is about uh, when we were in person, extending our physical reach in India. If we want to truly um, live out our vision, then we need to be able to move out of your typical tier one and tier two cities in India. So part of what we've been working on through that process is developing our Indian institutional partnerships across institutions, you know, not just in tier one and two cities um, in India. Uh, but that's the genesis uh, uh, and I guess the history of our relationship with the University of New South Wales. Right, right. Gay would like to ask about volunteering. She says to volunteer in Australia is in our DNA. Do you see that elsewhere in other countries? Um, thank you, Gay. Um, definitely, from I can speak from the Indian perspective because of the, the work that we've done on the ground. Right. So, you know, if in my personal experience, the Australian-India Youth Dialogue is a volunteer-established-led organization. Um, the School of Policy and Governance is exactly the same. To do the work we do on the ground in India, we work with a number of, of groups of student uh, volunteers, um, like the Global Youth Council in New Delhi, uh, who are amazing young uh, students, usually international relations, uh, law, or, or, or other policy, social sciences students. Um, and they just, you know, do our, help us with our research, you know, do our on the ground work, fetching, carrying, uh, you know, supporting us when we're doing physical programs. Uh, and then in, in the virtual context as well, we have, uh, you know, volunteers who help us sometimes with, uh, you know, various administration related tasks or other research or, you know, whether it's polling or anything like that, that we're trying to get a feel for. Uh, so there's definitely, a, a, in my experience, certainly in India, um, an, an, an open culture to volunteering. And, and I feel like we certainly learn uh, a lot and get a lot of value from that when we are doing what we do in India. Right. Anthony had a follow-up question on partnerships. To what extent is the SPG linked with other policy schools? And he gives the examples of the Harvard School, a uh, Kennedy School at Harvard or the Lee Kuan Yew School at NUS. Oh, thank you, uh, Anthony. So, so we don't yet have those relationships. So if there's a relationship that you would like to broker or an introduction <laughs> that you'd you, like you to heard broker, that, Anthony. We, yeah. we would welcome it. Um, we, we certainly would like to have those relationships. I think that they're key in the global environment, right? And um, while we, we, we don't have them yet, we're, we're certainly open to them. We have an, a number of relationships across um, India and Indian institutions uh, whom we've worked with before, like the Jindal School of Policy or Jang University um, or the, the, the National Law School in Bangalore, uh, for example. Um, and then, you know, in, in Australia, obviously, we've worked with the University of New South Wales before. We're in discussions with other 
Australian universities on upcoming programs. Okay. Um, and, and for us, it's a, it's a constant work in progress. We're, we're, we've started our first kind of corporate, I guess, relationship with uh, Saral Am- Amachan Mangaldas in India for the governance program. Uh, we worked with the George Institute on uh, our, all our health policy programs. Uh, they're key for us, you know. We're, we are the new kids on the block, so we're, we're definitely, um, you know, we know who we know that we need to lean on people with greater expertise for us to be able to deliver the quality that we want to. Right now, you do a lot of work crossing Australia and India. Uh, you know, two very different countries. One, you know, an enormous uh, country with an enormous economy and population. The other, Australia, you know, a small but rather rich country. What do you see are the differences in practice between these two environments? I mean, operating is operating in India as easy for you as operating in Australia? Um, hmm. So I guess by background, I'm a lawyer. Um, so, so I mean, that's what I do in my real life. Um, so navigating, you know, regulatory environments, something that I do on a daily basis. So, right. so, so I can't necessarily say that was difficult. Uh, key to operating in any environment is obviously the advice and professional assistance you get to be able to deliver it. So, you know, I'm not Indian qualified. I have no experience doing any of those things in India. So we leaned on experts in country to be able to provide us with everything that we needed to do. In terms of, of, of on the Australian side, because we ha- we are an Australian incorporated uh, company limited by guarantee as well. Um, that was easy for me. I mean, that's what I that's what I do, right? right. Uh, so you know, that's the kind of thing that doesn't actually take time to set up. There's a lot of compliance around it, but it's part of the process. On the Indian side, in order for us to be able to do that, like once we got the right advice, once we got the tax structuring in place, etc., um, it probably took us about six months to do all the paperwork. I can't say that that's a long time. It's it's one we're trying to do something quite novel, um, and two, it's a market that you know. I'm not qualified to be able to do anything. And so all of those things take time. <laughs> right. And But I want to, if I can just get one kind of final question I'd like to get your perspective on. Can individuals really make a difference? Uh, is it really possible? I mean, here you are, a bunch of entrepreneurs starting this social enterprise. Is it going to work? Can people like you really make something happen like this? Or do you need a, you know, a hundred million dollar donor to step up and make things happen? Well, I mean, I, I will say no to a hundred million dollar <laughs> We don't need a hundred million. That's a bit too much for our, what, what we need. But um, I think because we've, I've seen it before, we've done it before. Individuals have, and we continue to make a difference. It's part of the nature of who we are, I guess, as human beings. Um, and for us, particularly about people who wanted to see some kind of change and have done something to bring that change about, uh, and then have seen it through, right? And we're doing it again with SPG. Uh, I think we're also quite, you know, tenacious and persistent and um you know, we do, we don't take no for an ex, for an answer. You know, when we started the Australian Youth Dialogue, for example, I, I I think there were a lot of people that you know 
probably would not have expected us to one do what we did but do it as well as we did we you know were young people with no experience with barely any money we did everything based on our personal professional relationships and raised the money that we needed to do what we needed to do do and it's a success story today um and i have every confidence we'll do the same for spg because we just won't take no for an answer you know we'll find a way sanushka syamangal thank you very much for joining us today thank you thank you it's been a pleasure Oh, it's our pleasure entirely. I'd also like to thank our producer, Emily Holmes, executive producer, Max Hawk Weaver, the director of CIS, Tom Switzer. And a reminder to everyone, next week, we will have the right Reverend Robert Forsyth to tell us about the true meaning of Christmas. We hope you'll join us then. <laughs>